welcome Bruce Main. Uh, Bruce, your legend grows, and the story you just shared makes it grow even more. Apparently, Bruce uh, ran through eight different Sunday school teachers during his time here at FBC in one year. So that's the record. That almost deserves a round of applause. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bruce, uh, we're so honored by your presence. Bruce is the founder and president of Urban Promise. Uh, he was actually the first sermon I heard at FBC back in 2015 when I visited was Bruce. So, Bruce, thank you so much for being here, and Pamela as well. Uh, we welcome you, and we're excited to hear what God has given you to share with us this morning. Good morning. I'm reading from the New, Inter- New International Version of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, 1 to 11. Jesus calls his first disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch fish for men. You will catch fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, your word spoken brought all of creation into being and existence. And that word still speaks to us. So we thank you for this timeless truth that corrects, that encourages, that rebukes, and inspires. So thank you for Bruce and the way you've been working in his life and the message that you have imparted into his heart that he'll bring forth this morning. Our prayer is that our hearts would be receptive soil and that as we hear your word spoken to us, that we would obey. In this we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen, thank you. Well, good morning. Before I speak, I I wanna introduce a friend uh, to you. So uh, Ricky, come on up here for a minute. Uh, This is Ricky Lee. 
And uh, Ricky is the executive director of Promise Vancouver, uh, which is an affiliate of Urban Promise International. And so give him a big round of applause because... Uh, So you were prepared for this, right? <laughs> anyway, I, I put him on the spot here, but I just wanted you to meet him. Ricky, so you're, you're the ED, the Executive Director of Promise Vancouver. You've just had a successful summer program. Tell these folk, what, what did you do this summer in East Van? Okay, hi everybody. Um, so this summer uh, we, we run summer camps for kids in uh, the downtown east side. Uh, this, is our, this is our third and best summer yet. Uh, for this uh, for this version of the ministry, and uh, we had um, probably about 240 spots that we had uh, for kids, and, and probably the most exciting thing for for me this summer was we hired 10 teens uh, from mostly from the neighborhood, and we did a partnership with the Aboriginal Friendship Center, and five of the teens were uh, Indigenous kids, and that's fun and crazy and. Um, but really exciting, uh, really, to see them grow. And it's crazy how much you can see a person grow when you give them an opportunity. Uh, so that was probably the most exciting thing for me this summer. And the chance to, for me personally, to, the chance to, um, I guess, introduce the idea of mystery and wonder uh, into young people's lives, that their actions could really make a difference. Um, and the mystery and wonder of a God who, who loves them and is journeying with them and uh, what that can do in a person's life. So, anyhow. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and you know, this, this church has supported this work for years. Uh, and so maybe just say a word of thanks and why, why you appreciate it. And if you have any opportunities for volunteers or uh, any, any way to get involved with your work. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you. I should say personally, actually, this is me taking off the, the Urban Promise hat. Um, Vancouver has been my home for 25 years now, and actually just worshiping this morning with you guys, I'm brought back to so many memories, so many connections of how First Baptist has blessed me personally. Uh, there have been people that have shaped my life, and it's spoken into my life over the years. And when I've been in different Ministries. I've worked with this church. So in so many ways, it's been really crazy. But I thank you so much for, for the ways that you have been committed to loving Jesus and planting seeds and really cultivating beautiful people and beautiful ministries. Uh, so, yeah, I just feel like personally, thank you. And then now, yeah, with Promise Vancouver, thank you so much. Because even this version really hasn't, didn't start without the, um, the vision of, of people from this congregation um, who helped to, again, plant a seed to, to start this. So um, I forget what you asked me. It's <laughs> great. Um, opportunities, come visit us. We're just, we're not far away. Uh, come, you know, email us. Uh, come see what we're doing. Uh, talk to us, find out more. Um, keep praying for us. I know some of you guys have been praying for us. Please keep praying for us. It, this, it's been a great summer, with, but not without adversity and, and some crazy stuff that happened down there. But, um, but it's been great. So thank you for your support. Thank you. And I, I can't uh, not introduce my wife, Pamela. So uh, Pam, you want to just stand and say hi? And... 
She's the quiet one of the two. Uh, uh, it, it is an honor to be here. This church uh, means a lot to me. Uh, my parents met here in the 1950s. Uh, my parents got married here. Uh, I came up through the, uh, the child care system here, the youth program. I have a record for how many uh, Sunday school teachers we went through in one year. Uh, you know, my children, our children were dedicated here, so this is a special place and, and uh, just so grateful for the leadership, but also you for keeping this going and uh, the way it's going to bless uh, generations to come. So thank you. Uh, I did get an email from Ben this week. Uh, he outlined the sermon or the service for me, and, and uh, he said, you know, we usually give the preachers 25 minutes, but don't feel constrained. Ben you, ben, you never say that to a preacher. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little of the, uh, the, the young seminarian who gets his first church, his little country church, and he, he's going to go preach his first sermon, and it snows the night before. So he gets there, and there's one parishioner there. It's a farmer, and, and the young seminarian says, well, what, what would you do? And the farmer looks at him and says, well, you know, I don't know much about the church, don't know much about preaching. But if I loaded up my wagon with hay, took it down to the field, and one cow showed up, I'd feed the cow. Well, that's all the young seminarian needed to hear. And so Grady gets up in the pulpit. He, he preaches. He goes from Genesis to Revelation and back, <laughs> preaches for an hour, wraps it up, coming to the back. Farmer's there. He said, well, how'd I do? And the farmer said, well, you know, like I said, if I had a wagon full of it with hay and took it down the field, one cow showed up, I'd feed the cow. Just one thing, I wouldn't give it the whole load. <laughs> so, Ben, I, I won't give it the whole load this morning. In, uh, in 2007, uh, Urban Promise, our ministry, we had a really great year. Uh, Diane Sawyer, ABC, picked up our story. One of our families was then selected for that crazy show called Extreme Makeover. And uh, we got emails and contacts, donations from all around the world. And one email I'll never forget was from a gentleman in Malibu, California. And he said, uh, I see that you're going to be out here speaking uh, in, a, in a few weeks. I'm wondering if I could have lunch with you. And I'm thinking, lunch, free? Malibu, sounds good. So I uh, get to Los Angeles, I drive out the Pacific Coast Highway, I pull into the uh, parking lot at this really sort of ritzy Malibu restaurant, iconic, and I come up to the front desk, I said, I'm here to meet Mr. Peterson, does he have a reservation? The young woman behind the desk says, well, he doesn't need a reservation. I said, well, is he a regular? He, she said, no, he owns the place. <laughs> I said, okay, she takes me to a table. He said, she said, uh, he'll be here in a few minutes. I sit down and I open the menu, you know, and I'm looking at it, you know, a, a poached baby Bartlett pear salad with humble fog goat cheese <laughs> on microgreens, not lettuce, Ben, microgreens, you know, cayenne candied pecans and a you know, raspberry reduction sauce, and I look at it, it's $39. I mean, I'm from New Jersey. You know, this is an Applebee's. And I'm just hoping it's not a bait and switch. I've got six bucks in my pocket to pay for the valet. I don't have money for lunch. And 
sure enough, this gentleman comes out of the back and he sits down and we start talking and he, he sort of looks like a surfer. And uh, he tells me how he acquired this restaurant and and then we got to one point in the meal, and he said to me, he said, I think God wants me to get involved in your work. What can I do? A little cut off guard, but I said, you know, we want to do a fundraising event here next month. Would you want to host it? He said, sure. I'll pick up the hors d'oeuvres, the drinks, everything. I'm great. We have the event, huge success. Six months later, I'm back in Malibu. Sit down with him. He says, you know, I think God's calling me to do something more. I said, well, we need to drill a well in Malawi for one of our ministries. He said, here's the check. Go drill it. Another year goes by. I sit down with him again. He says, I think God wants me to do something else. And I said, well, we need an eating pavilion and kitchen at one of our high schools. He said, count me in. Finally, another eight months go by. Sit down with him again. He looks at me. He says, Bruce, I think God is calling me to go to Malawi. He said, Bruce, you got to understand this. I never leave Malibu. I live on a five-mile stretch of the Pacific Coast Highway. I have family in Orange County, 20 miles to the south. I haven't seen them in 25 years. <laughs> and a few months later, Mr. Malibu, the guy that entertains Hollywood moguls and feeds dignitaries, got on a plane and went to Malawi, Africa. His life was turned upside down. And one of the things that I noticed is that he became more generous. <laughs> his vision began to grow and he began to think of ways that he could use his entrepreneurial skills to help create businesses and jobs for those in that country. When I think of the story of Jeff Peterson and I think of this gradual calling to get off the beach, literally, and go to deep waters... I can't help but think of this passage today. God was calling this man to a deeper place. And because he was willing to get off the beach and go to that deeper place, he experienced dimensions of God's character that he could never have experienced if he hadn't gone. God calls us to deeper waters. It's in the deeper places that we experience the abundance and fullness and goodness of God. So today's Bible lesson is about fishing. I, I don't like fishing. <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I guess you're supposed to catch things, and I never do. It, it reminds me of a little story of these guys that decide they're going to go on a fishing trip for the weekend, a couple of buddies. You know, they, they rent a boat, they book a hotel room down by the shore, they uh, they buy a couple of rods, they get bait, coolers, they drive down, they fish Friday, they catch nothing. Saturday, they catch nothing. Finally, Sunday morning, they catch one fish. So they're driving back home, and one of the guys turns to his buddy, and he says, you know, that fish cost us $1,500. <laughs> his buddy says, well, good thing we only caught one. <laughs> or what, what is it, you know? Cook a man a fish and he's happy for a day. Teach a man to fish and you'll get rid of him for the weekend. <laughs> so here's the setting. Peter and his partners have been out all night fishing. They're professional fishermen. They've caught nothing. It's been a long, tiring night. I'm sure they're stressed, wondering how he's going to pay his staff and feed his family. 
they're cleaning the nets, and all of a sudden, this, this carpenter comes down the beach. I sometimes wonder whether the scriptures are sanitized a little bit. Because, you know, you have these rough, tough fishermen. This is what they do. And then you have this carpenter. It's not what he does. Have you ever had people tell you how to do your job that don't actually do your job? It never happens to pastors, does it, Ben? And Jesus says, Peter, get back in the boat and go out to deeper waters. And Peter's defense is, Master, we've been all out all night and, and we haven't caught anything. We're tired. And at that point, it's interesting, isn't it? I think Peter faces the decision. Either will he base his decision on logic and history and data and, and, and his experience, or will he base his decision on faith? Will he simply respond and obey the voice of Jesus? It reminds me a little of the 19th century philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who argues in, in his book Fear and Trembling that, that there is a difference between belief and faith. You know, belief can be proved. It's based on logic and reason and data. Faith is the, is the jump into the abyss. And so Peter's faced with a decision. Does he make a decision based on his experience or does he simply respond in obedience to the voice of Jesus? And he responds to the voice of Jesus. And his life's turned upside down. Belief or faith? Easy to believe, isn't it? Much more difficult to step out in faith. I love the story of the, uh, the, the tightrope walker, Charles Blondin, who in 1859, June 30th, walked from the American side of Niagara Falls to the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. 25,000 people showed up to witness this event. Nobody thought it could be done. I mean, there was politicians there and lawyers and judges and teachers and children and bands and music. It was, it was exciting. And there's the great Charles Blondin. He gets on the tightrope on the Canadian side and inches his way across to the U.S. side. When he gets to the U.S. side, the cheers are loud and people are screaming and he quiets the crowd and he looks at the crowd and says, do you believe that I can go back? From the American side to the Canadian side, or the Canadian side to the American side. And everybody said, we believe, we believe. Then he said, do you believe that I can go back blindfolded? And everybody said, we believe, we believe. And then he looked at the crowd and said, do you believe that I can walk back blindfolded with somebody on my back? And everybody said, we believe, we believe. And then he looked at the crowd and said, who will step forward and get on my back? <laughs> And nobody did, except his manager. <laughs> and for the next two and a half hours, he inched his way back. Oh, it's easy to say we believe, we believe. Much more difficult to take that step of faith. And there's Peter, I'm sure, saying, what am I doing? And yet he steps in that place. And because he steps into that place of absolute faith, He's put himself in a position where he can experience a miracle. And he tastes the abundance of God, and his life is changed. I have a friend. Her, her name is Jerry Rice. 
it's not the all-pro wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. She actually lives in Philadelphia. She teaches viola at the Curtis Institute, and she plays in the Philadelphia Pops. Wonderful woman, good friend. And one day she was telling me how she got started with this ministry that she founded in her community. And she said, you know, I was at a Presbyterian church. And she said, uh, one day after church, they were having a luncheon. The, the Social Justice Committee was having a luncheon. So she said, I, I, I decided to go see what they're doing. So she said, I sat down next to a few of the members and I said, well, what do you guys actually do? And one of the members said, well, we, we actually don't do anything. We just discuss issues. And she said, well, would you think about actually doing something? And they said, well, what do you have in mind? And she said, well, I've heard of this organization called Feed My Starving Children. And they, they send food to countries where young people need nutritional meals. And they said, well, well, you go find out more about it and then come back and tell us. So she drove down to Clinton, New Jersey, which is about 30 minutes from her home, and she witnessed about 100 volunteers packing these these Ziploc bags of food that were high in protein, soy and rice, and, and they were packing them. And my friend Jerry said, you know, at one point I was there, I was packing these bags of food and I started to cry. She said, because for the first time in my life, I looked at my hands and I, I, I saw that they were actually saving people. So she came back to the committee and she said, look, we should do this. And the committee said, well, we really don't have the resources. So she goes to the pastor and he says, we really don't have the resources in the budget. And then she goes to the session. We really don't have the resources in the budget. So she said, Bruce, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any support, but I felt God calling me. And then she looked at me and she quoted Mother Teresa. And you know you're going deep when you start quoting Mother Teresa. And she said, you know, Bruce, I thought of that, that saying that she had, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And so she gathered a few volunteers first year. 25 volunteers, they, they packaged 20,000 bags of food. 2014, 2015, she got 100 people together in her community. They packaged about 50,000 bags of food. The next year, she got about 200 people involved in her community, and they packaged about 50,000 bags of food. In 2017, she'd mobilized 1,400 volunteers in her community and they packaged over 500,000 bags of food. Three weeks ago, I was in Malawi, guess what? Guess what our staff were serving at one of the after-school programs? Bags of food packaged, part of Feed My Starving Children. But here's what I'll never forget. I sat down with Jerry and I said, Jerry, how has this experience changed you? This is what she said. She said, Bruce, my wants, my wants are completely different than they were five years ago. You see what happens? When we go into those deeper places, when we go to deeper waters and God meets us and we experience the abundance of God, our wants are transformed. Think about this for a minute. Peter's business has just had the best day ever. For you financial types in the crowd, I mean, positive cash flow, 
balance sheets looking good. The auditor is off your back because the debt, debt ratio is down. Your staff have just got bonuses. And at this moment, the scriptures tell us Peter walks away. He's changed. His priorities have been upended. And that's what the gospel does, does it not? My wants have changed. When we're willing to go to the deeper waters, we're transformed. As I mentioned, 2007 was a really good year for Urban Promise. We were doing well, we had gotten all this publicity, but I'll never forget one moment. I was sitting in my office in East Camden. There's a knock on my door, and I look up, and in walks this young man named William Neasulu from Malawi, Africa. This is 2007, I'd never heard of Malawi. If you'd asked me to pick it out on a map, I couldn't have picked it out. I said, who are you? He said, I'm William Neasulu. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Malawi, Africa. He said, where? I said, where's that? He said, it's in the southern, eastern Sub-Sahara. Very poor country. I said, why are you here? He said, I'm here to do my internship. I said, did you apply? <laughs> he said, no. I said, well, since you're here, why don't you stay? And we put him to work. And about three or four months later, he comes back into my office and he says, we need this kind of work in our country. I said, well, what would that look like? I said, you go, write a little proposal, come back to me. And so a few weeks later, he comes back to me, he has a proposal, needs a little bit of money. We raise him $5,000. And he goes back to Malawi and starts his own nonprofit, much like Urban Promise. I got to tell you, in 2007, I had no interest in Malawi. I was just trying to keep things going in Camden, New Jersey. But God was calling me, calling us to a deeper place. And when William went back to Malawi, he started telling his friends. And before long, we had all these young leaders from Malawi and then Uganda and Liberia and Kenya start applying. And they started to come to the U.S. to find inspiration and vision and resources to go back and plant their own organizations. A couple of years ago, I had a chance to go to Malawi to see some of the work that's been done. One of those leaders started a high school called Rise Malawi High School. Started with 40 kids the first year. It's now over 400 children. But while I was there, the director was telling me that one of the problems he had was that children were walking two, three miles a day just to get to school, and for some it was dangerous. So they rented a little gas station on the edge of their property, and they built 16 bunk beds in it and put 16 boys in that little make-to dormitory. So I said, can you take me down and show me it? So we walked down, and we got to this little abandoned gas station, and he opened the door, and I stepped in, and I stepped back out because the smell was so horrific. And I said, what's that? He said, well, there are bats in the rafters and they left their feces and we've tried to clean it out, but we just can't get rid of the stench. I got to tell you, you wouldn't put your pet dog in there. 
But for these kids, it was better than walking two or three miles a day. So I poke my head back in and I, I notice in the upper left side of the room, above one of the bunks, somebody had written something on one of the ceiling tiles. And so I was curious. So I, I walked over and I pushed aside the mosquito netting and I got up on the bunk and I turned and written on the ceiling tile were these words. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. And I began to think of that kid who sleeps on that upper bunk. This was not some inspirational quote on a Starbucks cup. This was this kid's prayer. Every day as he went to bed, he would read it. Every morning before he got up, he would read it. Life is 10% what happens to you. 90% how you respond. And I remember standing there feeling deeply convicted. So I asked the director, I said, who's the kid that sleeps in the bunk there? I got to meet him. And so we walked out onto the campus and he pointed this kid and I walked across. I got close. I said, hey, are you the young man that sleeps in the upper bunk? You've written something above your, where your head lies. I think he thought he was in trouble. <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, thank you for writing that. I needed to read that today. What's your name? And this young man looked at me and he said, my name, my name is Hope. Malawi doesn't need Bruce Maine. I need Malawi. God calls us to deeper waters because God wants us to let go of the securities, the control, and jump into the abyss so that we can experience God's fullness, God's abundance, and God's goodness. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for these stories of old or uh, ordinary men and women who had to make choices, decisions. We thank you for Peter when confronted with a choice, decided to respond in faith. We pray for that calling in our own lives, that this year as we start this new school year, that you would, that you would lead us to those deeper places, that you would grow our hearts, grow our visions, grow our compassion. We pray all this and the one who saves us, redeems us, and transforms us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.